Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In this week's show, we're going to do part one of the 2022 season review. We're going to do a quiz on the season to test the panel's knowledge and if they've been paying attention, and plenty more. Goodman, and you're listening to the fantastic Cut to the Race podcast. Hello, my name is Brian and you're listening to the Formula Birds podcast. Hi, I'm Rosanna Tennant, and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race podcast. Hi, I'm Jordan King, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Brophy. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go! Hello and welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. We are here today for part one of the 2022 season review. My name is Ollie, and with me we have Sam. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. <laughs> you just sounded so disappointed. I know, I didn't <laughs> intend to. <laughs> I was thinking, who should I start with? And it just came out as, oh, oh we've got Sam. <laughs> it was a bit like, you know, friends when Ross comes in, he's like... Hi. <laughs> I'm sorry, mate. I am a little bit hungover. Just, just, just roll with it for now. Goodness and we have me. I'm fine. <laughs> and we have James. How are you? Oh, that's Stella. Thanks. How are you, Ollie? Other than hungover. Yes, I'm all right. Stella, that's a new one. And um, Abby, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. I am not hungover. Well, this makes a change, doesn't it? Okay. <laughs> So we're going to talk about the bottom seven teams of the season in this show. And then on part two, we're going to discuss the top three. And we're also going to follow up these two shows with the Formula Nerds Awards, where we're going to be handing out prestigious awards such as race of the season, driver of the season, funniest moment of the season, underdog of the year, and many more, including national anthem of the season. So that will be one you just cannot miss. Where should we start, Sam? Let's let's talk about McLaren and Alpine. This was quite a, a season-long story, wasn't it? It was, and 
I think they both had their their difficult points throughout the year. And going into the year, the Alpine looked quick, but we kind of were feeling like it might be quite unreliable, uh, particularly their power unit. That, of course, uh, was actually the reality for them. But the McLaren came into the season and it was a bit of a mess, their car, um, in Bahrain. And I think there was some you know, circumstantial factors there with the specific circuit, but they looked well off the pace. So yeah, it's it, it did nicely progress into a into a battle for P4 in the championship. Uh, but yeah, McLaren, you, you wouldn't have thought that they would be able to run Alpine as close as they did. Yeah, it's crazy, really. Like you, you say about the yeah the Bahrain performance, and it looked like they were going to be, I mean, towards the back briefly, and then by Emilia Romagna, where. Lando got that podium people were saying that they were going to be battling with Mercedes for third in the title so in the in the space of three races people's expectations turned around massively uh but then yeah I guess it kind of just slowly tapered off from there they didn't really dramatically fall it just they had a, a car that well everyone's cars noticeably kind of work better at certain tracks this year and I think by the second half of the season definitely Alpine had, had taken a leap forward oh for sure and what's what's interesting is that Lando actually scored 30 points more than Ocon, who's the leading Alpine. So not to, you know, kick a man that's already down, but Ricardo's 37 points, the anemic kind of return from him, uh, was particularly damaging in that battle for P4. And interestingly, Lando Norris scored more points this year in this McLaren than Ricardo managed last year in a considerably better McLaren, which of course also included a, a fluke 25 points in uh, in Monza. So it really over those two years has highlighted the the difference there. I would say fluke twenty five points is a little harsh. Okay, I, I mean also given that Lando got by that metric a, a fluke eighteen points from that race, but like I think you, you get my point that yeah yeah. Had there not been that golf in um, end product, it would have been surely a comfortable P four for McLaren at the end of the day. And of course, one of the big talking points between these two teams was some guy called Oscar Piastri. I mean, they, do you think this caused friction between these two teams? Because it, it sure shook up the season about halfway through, wasn't it? When Piastri was due to be with um, Alpine and then he shock moved to McLaren Abbey. What, what did, how do you think this affected the track action? I think it definitely affected Ricardo's track action because it was then a case for him to, I need to prove myself to McLaren. And yes, I've had these difficulties, but if you're going to bring Piastri in, who's younger and it will be his first F1 season and he's a very sought after driver, Ricardo would need to prove himself to the team, which ultimately they didn't think that he was, did well enough. But for Alpine, I don't know, because they were certain that Piastri would drive for them. They said he will end up in... RC in F1 and then everything happened they went to court legal battles and they ended up losing him and I think with Alonso as well they weren't expecting that I think Otmar said that Alpine found out they were losing Alonso in the social media statement so that certainly was a shock for them I mean Alpine have had eight DNFs across the whole season whereas McLaren have only had five so when you look at the reliability issues, Alpine have obviously suffered more, but I think they've they got on top of them more so 
But the whole Piastri thing definitely caused some rifts because they were certain that he would be an Alpine driver having been part of their academy throughout his junior career. Yeah, I mean, Alpine certainly had the better car, but behind the scenes, yeah. I mean, you know, mechanical failures are going to happen. A lot of teams were pushing themselves for the new regulations, kind of thinking, we'll go as quick as we can and we'll figure out the reliability later because of the engine freeze, if nothing else. I think we've seen that with Ferrari as well. But yeah, there are definitely some some problems for Alpine, which I mean, they've they've made some changes as well after the season. But yeah, they it's been it's been like a, a long term problem for them, or at least over the last year or two since Laurent Rossi took over. We've seen Alain Prost pushed out and numerous other names near the top, uh, and this was really not a good look for them losing their two perhaps biggest names in the, the past and the future. Yeah, and it's interesting, Ollie. Obviously, you mentioned you know tensions. They weren't between the two teams. They were within the two teams, separately almost. Uh, you know, we've obviously discussed kind of what led to Alonso wanting to leave Alpine, which then triggered the whole Piastri gate or fiasco, sorry, Piasco, uh, as it's better <laughs> better known as. But McLaren, let's face it, they weren't sitting pretty. They have very much adopted a kind of Chelsea-esque policy of let's sign every driver possible and just move them around and put some out on loan to, you know, the Dutch league and, and so on and so forth. So yeah, you've, they've got to a point where you've got IndyCar drivers who are contracted to that team, openly mocking the team for this whole kind of, yeah, we've signed up everyone and we're going to offer them a test in F1 car and it kind of dangle that papaya carrot um, almost. And yeah, so both of them separately have their issues that they need to fix and having to pay off, what, $22 million to get Ricardo out of the seat again. Like, it just, clearly there's the, some, you know, dysfunctionality there. You know, it's funny that, I mean, McLaren stole Daniel from Alpine or Renault as they were in quite a similar circumstance. I think Renault only found out about him moving to McLaren when it was it was all done and announced. And then it's obviously kind of come full circle with that. Just touching on the difference in the dysfunctionality between the teams, it does seem like McLaren are trying to get into every aspect of motorsport. They're creating a team in loads of different genres of it. And like you said, Sam, they're getting loads of drivers with Award and Palo and Herta and giving them an F1 test. But then with Alpine, there seems to be more tension between the drivers with Ocon and Alonso, because we saw early on in the season... They had an on-track scuffle and Alonso nearly went into the wall in one of the races. And you could clearly see that they were racing each other, not just, okay, we're teammates, let's do the best for the team. They were racing each other. But ultimately, on track, they were the more consistent team because they had 12 races where both drivers finished in the points, whereas McLaren only had seven due to Ricardo, unfortunately, underperforming. Yeah, there were kind of three main flashpoints for Alpine that I can remember. There was Saudi Arabia, which ultimately didn't kind of come to blows. You know, in fact, it was very enjoyable as a spectator to kind of see that battle on, on track. And then obviously Hungary, where may or may not have faxed into Fernando then leaving, what, two days, you know, the next day, in fact. You know, there's rumours that he signed that contract with Aston that evening after um, being less than pleased with Ocon's on-track actions. And then obviously in Brazil, um, you've almost got Alonso 
kind of slandering Ocon um, and then the comments that he, you know, with the comments he made after. And Ocon has recently kind of come out and said that he kind of, you know, feels are unfair and was disappointed with those, particularly as the main incident there was Alonso's fault. But yeah, so I'm not sure that we'll see those difficulties fixed at Alpine next year. I think Ocon has been un- unfairly apportioned blame quite often, uh, for instance, like the one with um, Verstappen in, in Brazil and was 2018, I think it was. Uh, obviously not great, but people have used that as a kind of a, you know beating stick uh, whenever he kind of gets in, involved in these things. And obviously, his relationship with Perez wasn't great towards the end there at Racing Point. But obviously, they're bringing in Gasly, um, who we know that they have history. So that will be certainly a narrative that's going to kind of play out over the next year. But Omar Saf now has come out and said, you know, actually, when all said and done, we've actually benefited from this. We like our lineup going into 23 more than what we were looking at going into going into the year before the whole fiasco. Sorry, do you fiasco. Guys, do you guys believe that? No, it's PR. Yeah, I'm not sure. No, I'm not sure I believe that. Looking at the the results, Alpine finished fourth and McLaren fifth. But do you think if Ricardo had had found form or if Piastri had been in that seat earlier, it would have finished differently, guys? Let's talk a bit about the the, the teammates uh, comparison because we know what Alonso's like as well. Fantastic driver, but six DNFs. I mean, which, which drivers stood out to you from from both Alpine and McLaren? I think. For me, with Alpine, I believe that most of Alonso's retirements, they said that there was a water leak that was consistently an issue throughout his season. But I think he definitely performed very well this season. He had great, he had some great battles, some great finishes. With McLaren, I love Ricardo, but Norris is the standout driver for me. He did get a podium. And whilst there were some races where he retired and some where he didn't finish in the points, he was more consistent throughout the season he has some lonely races during the year where he just battled by himself really um so Norris and Alonso I would say are my standout drivers I think yeah I'd say Lando over Nando personally uh I mean Fernando was very unlucky definitely uh and you can't say very much of it was self-inflicted but the way he yeah as Sam mentioned the way he kind of approached his teammate relationship as you know it's it's Fernando and we know what we're going to get in that sense but it wasn't great for for team harmony and I think Lando basically just quietly did an excellent job all year just consistently put it just the best of the rest pretty much and obviously ended up 30 points clear of Ocon as Sam also said so yeah he's he's my choice out of those four and pretty easily yeah I think that Lando was this year's Pierre Gasly in that sense wasn't he he was all. He was clearly the best of the rest um, in terms of just where he'd qualify it, where he'd where he'd finish it, and therefore he had some very very lonely races. But I think the I think the Alonso Ocon thing is is closer. They are, I think it's closer than you can maybe maybe it looks like. And bear in mind that Alonso obviously had a lot of points that went unclaimed for him there was no way that he should have had that gap to to Norris point wise he was obviously very unlucky reliability um, concerning so but I think the fact that Ocon is able to run Alonso close and he is yes he he doesn't have the same output when it comes to the points but Fernando Alonso is a generational talent I think people have the Ocon kind of uh trajectory has been quite interesting where he kind of came in as this hot property fell away lost his seat for a year 
has come back and everyone's kind of a little bit down on him as a prospect. And I think some, some ways that's harsh. So it'd be very, very interesting to see again next year how he compares to Gasly. I think he could pip Gasly. And maybe some of that is that he already knows the team. But, you know, I think that, again, will be a really interesting narrative. Alonso is a proven to be general generational talent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he is a proven to be, whereas George Russell, to clarify, is a proven to be. To be proven. A to be proven generational talent. I'm very, very sorry to the person on TikTok who, uh, in fairness, our caption was wrong, but I'm very sorry to the person on TikTok who I, I upset with that comment because it upset me as well. All right. Well, I'm sure you can make up. So, I mean, the, the, the gap between the drivers were huge at McLaren. Uh, Ricardo only finished the season with 37 points, whereas um, you had Lando Norris with 122, which was huge. And then there were only 11 points between the Alpine drivers. So, I mean, a massive difference there. But it was a season of two halves for Aston Martin and Alfa Romeo. Let's talk about those teams, guys. I mean, Aston Martin, it feels very inconsistent. Let's start with them. Yeah, I mean, they, again, similarly to McLaren, had a horrible start. It was, it was, I mean, it was McLaren, Aston and Williams pretty much fighting for, at the very back in Bahrain. And see, that became to be somewhat track specific, but it did take them a long time to, to get on top of their car, it appeared. Then, of course, they brought out the, the Green Bull, infamously, didn't make a huge difference. I mean, I think it helped him a bit. And they had the the rear wing, uh, armchair rear wing that Ted Kravitz loved so much. Again, didn't really make a huge breakthrough for them, but they did gradually get there. Uh, it was their qualifying was the biggest issue for them. They were quite often decent in races, but they were struggling to get out of Q1 pretty much until the no, what, the final five. Just touching on their qualifying across the whole season. Stroll is the number one driver for gaining places. He's gained 58 um, places across the whole season and Vettel was third, having gained 39. So yeah, they're quali- they need to work on their qualifying. That's quite often the case for, for Lance, isn't it? He, I mean, he's never been a great qualifier and he's always been great in the, the first one, one or two laps. But see, that's, that is really interesting because over the season, and maybe this is just me just misremembering, but I kind of felt that a lot of those poor qualifying performances weren't that they were lacking pace or that they couldn't put a lap together. If It almost felt like that they were putting them on the track at the wrong time or there was a, t- a, t- a strategy mistake in that qualifying session that led to them going out earlier. I feel like it happened to Vettel on a number of occasions. Um, and we know that Vettel is obviously a, a very good qualifier. Uh, so... Yeah, that was that was somewhat odd, um, and yeah, again, those kind of the the green ball and then the the, the rear wing. We'd go into that weekend and they'd perform really, really well in FP1, and everyone goes, "Oh, this is really this is worth like you know three or four tenths." Oh goodness! And then, well, that was really uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what that was, but <laughs> that's what everyone would say. Yeah. Oh, oh goodness! goodness. Yeah. <laughs> All over social media. <laughs> Hashtag oh goodness. <laughs> But but then it would get around to qualifying and the race and it was worth nowhere near that. So, yeah, a, a really odd start to the year for them. But they just very quietly picked up momentum and just, yeah, put, put results together consistently in the second half. So, yeah, it was very, very good season for Aston Martin towards the end. Do we think they're going to have pace next year, guys? Uh, what are we expecting for, for, for next year for them? I feel like they will. I think they seem to have this 
project that they're working on that they hope will get them to being a race winning car and a championship winning car. And I think given what Alonso has said in postseason testing, he is happier now that he's signed with Aston Martin than he was initially. And I think they seem to have this drive and this determination to be the best team that they can be. And I think they will definitely be more in the midfield and potentially battle with Alpine and McLaren. They certainly have that potential. Obviously, this year it was the new regulations. I think they've been getting used to them. The Green Bull saga and the cost cap procedural breach didn't help them. But I certainly think that Aston Martin will go on an upward trajectory for 2023 with Alonso as well. I think he'll be a good addition to the team to help them. Yeah, I think ultimately the the Aston Martin that we got at the end of the year was the Aston Martin that we were expecting at the beginning. And obviously it didn't kind of quite work out that way. With the Aston Martin project, it's one of those kind of you know pieces of work where you you feel like it's a case of when, not if, they'll get there. Whereas some of the other teams that are also trying to kind of fight into the top three, you're kind of a little bit you know, less kind of convinced by by what they're saying. Um, so I think it will be particularly interesting because I think that what you get in Alonso is what you got in from Vettel after he announced his retirement, after he took that weight and that pressure off himself. Those results are exactly what you can expect from, from Alonso. And Stroll, to his credit, he will he will get a result. He will get a point out of somewhere when that is the best option, the, the best that they can do that race. How many how many 10th place finishes did he get over the season? He got quite a few, I think. So together, they will fight and they will get their elbows out to, to do as well as they can do. Okay, so let's talk about Alfa Romeo, which was almost the opposite of the Aston Martin performance. They had a strong start to the year. Well, I say they. Bottas had a strong start to the year. Um, but Guan Yu Zhou, what, what are you guys thinking about him? His performance throughout the season was just not up to par, was it? Um, if you're looking at the comparison to Bottas, who had a flying start. I disagree. I thought Zhou was unlucky. And I think the points table doesn't tell an, a- an accurate story of his season. He got points on his debut. Uh, which was, you know, a good result, albeit it gets forgotten, understandably, because Bossas came out of the blocks absolutely flying with a point to prove, um, understandably so. But Joe just, he got, he was really unlucky retirement-wise, and it just, it, it never quite came together for him at the right time. Um, and I think that he was a much more consistent performer than, again, as, a, as the points would kind of suggest. But also, Bossas was excellent at points over the year. And I think that that kind of gets forgotten because he spent so much time being compared with Lewis Hamilton, who is Lewis Hamilton. So it's very easy to kind of think, oh yeah, Bottas is kind of, you know, mid. He's not, he's he's very, very good. He just needs to be in the right environment. I think Alfa Romeo is the right environment for him. So yeah, I think, yeah, I think six points of where, however many Joe got is un- is unfair. On, uh, on how he actually did in his debut season. Yeah, Bottas uh, splitting the Mercedes was poetic, really, in that in that first race. He, I think that was right, didn't he? Qualified in between them. Yeah, he uh, qualified George. Yeah, which was, yeah, you couldn't have written that. Obviously, yeah, it, they fell off, uh, and I hope that doesn't follow into next year and that they continue their downward trend. They said that Snap just creeping, like, 
creeping, like just narrowly hanging on to that sixth place ahead of, of Aston in the, the constructors final standings will make a huge difference to them and their, their budget for next year. Um, which is, yeah, we know it's not a, an issue so much for Aston in terms of funding. So I hope that they can, they can kind of, yeah, use the momentum they had at the start of the season rather than trailing off. Yeah, definitely. Cause Bottas certainly seemed more unlucky than Joe towards the end of the season, because I think there were three races, I think Hungary, Belgium and Zanvor, obviously you have the summer break, but he retired in all three of them and he had six over the whole season. And Joe, it was his debut season in F1 and I think he did really well. Like you said, Sam, he got points on his first race and he obviously had that massive crash at Silverstone, but he bounced back from that. And I think whilst he was unlucky, he did have some retirements and he didn't score many points. I think he did show promise and talent on the track and we did see him battle on track as well. So I think I think he has a lot more potential to show us next year and hopefully Alfa Romeo can use the momentum that they had earlier this season going into 2023. Yeah, and to be fair to, to Joe, he will need to show that next year because he was a fairly old rookie by recent standards. With 24, I think he was at the start of the year. And... Ancient we know you see I mean but it is I mean he's obviously no, Nick DeVries but you've got Teo Porcher wasting the wings and you've got to you've got to assume that that change will be made if he doesn't kind of step, step up points wise albeit not entirely his fault but I think as a team the noticeable kind of thing for Alfa Romeo and they're not the only team to have had a very similar season in this sense was they had a massive improvement on 2021 Last year, they finished P9 in the in the constructors, 13 points, 55 and P6 this year. Huge step up. But like other teams that have had a big step up, they came out of the blocks very, very well, scored points early on, and then just kind of fell away. So is you know, what is that kind of common variable between them and, say, Haas, who is the other team I'm alluding to there, that has led that? Is it that they've just kind of gone, you know what, we've taken a step forward. We're early, early on in the year, we're going to take our focus and put it into 2023. Is that, what, is that what's happened there? It's hard to say. I mean, it would make sense. Uh, they were only battling for eighth and ninth, obviously, by the end, Haas, and uh, I'm sixth and seventh, obviously, for, for Alfa Romeo. But I don't know. I mean, with the budget cap... I mean, how much do you want to commit of your next year's budget before you've seen how it performs on track? So it could be, uh, and I, I hope so for the sake of the competitiveness of the midfield, that that is the case and they don't just kind of slide back towards, yeah, fighting with Williams again. But I mean, yeah, I, I think they have more to show than they produced points wise, certainly. Okay, so let's talk about Haas. So obviously Magnussen and Schumacher. Now, there's got to be one standout moment for Haas this year, which has to be the Austrian Grand Prix. Both drivers way up in the points, but it was a difficult year for Mick Schumacher. I think he only scored points in two races, if, I, if I've if i got that right. You are right. So I thought that was a joke because obviously the standout moment for Haas was Kevin Magnussen's bowl, right? <laughs> In yeah, terms of points, if, yeah, okay. In terms of points, yeah, that really threw me. Yeah, it was um, Silverstone and, and Austria back to back where where Mick scored his his points. 
and everyone was kind of saying, yeah, he's 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 broken that kind of that threshold. He's he's you know got over the hump, and he will now start performing more consistently. Start doing much better than he had been. Uh, and no, that wasn't to be the case. Um, and it's it's quite a difficult thing to work out because Magnussen came back into the sport all guns blazing, a bit like Bottas did that first race of the season. Magnussen got what P five. 10 points on the board, having not scored at all last year, Haas. Um, and then, you know, continue to get, you know, have a good early part of the season. His uh, qualifying in uh, Imola was, again, uh, another highlight for him. So that was obviously quite a big delta at that point. Mick chipped away at that, albeit kind of getting into, you know, kind of uh, a few incidents and causing the team money, which obviously would then become his downfall. But he started to chip away at that. And, and Magnussen was starting to look like he was underperforming relative to where he had been at the start of the year. Then Mick gets those point finishes. And then that delta kind of looks like it's kind of grown back to where it had been at the start of the year. So it's a really odd season to kind of appraise for, for both the drivers and the team as a whole. Yeah, I think given that obviously Magnussen, he came back and he compared to Schumacher, who I think finished 11th, in Bahrain, Magnussen was obviously the stronger driver. And yes, Schumacher was with the team last year, but it was a new car, new regulations. And it was great to see Schumacher finally get his F1 points. And I did think that he would continue going up. But obviously, as we've said, the end of the season for him wasn't quite as good as the middle of the season. He did DNF three races and he just, I feel like there's something that Schumacher still needs to unlock in himself and something extra to learn for him to be able to reach Magnussen's level and kind he needs the experience but he needs to learn something else to be able to perform on track but obviously Magnussen that was definitely the right choice getting him back for house because I remember when he got P4 in quali and I believe Ollie you spoke to Jan Magnussen on the podcast mm. just after he got that and I was thinking, this is amazing. This is going to be back, like Hass's best result. And then he went and got pole in Brazil. And just seeing the level that Magnussen performed at compared to Schumacher definitely highlighted the difference in the two drivers for me. And although Schumacher was the most consistent driver in that he didn't gain any places and he didn't lose any places from his qualifying position to his finishing position. So he was consistent in that respect. But it's I don't know whether that's a good stat or not. It's an interesting stat. Um, I I want to talk about Kevin Magnussen and his on-track etiquette. Now, I personally find him one of the most exciting drivers on the grid because you you always know that there's going to be action when K-Mag's around. But he's got in the way quite a few times. He's pushed people off. Now, he, he is a completely different driver to, to, to Mick Schumacher. But do you think Kevin's a bit too aggressive, guys? Do you think he might need to tone it down a bit? Yeah, I mean, we're saying about the points they amassed at the start of the season. They could have a lot. They could have had a lot more. Uh, Spain, he was there, right? I mean, what it must have been sixth or seventh. He was battling for with with Lewis when he put himself in that position and ended up losing one of many end plates. And then similarly in Canada, and if he just kind of kept it a little bit calmer in that opening lap he'd have been in the fight for a good chunk of points uh, and Haas could have been up fighting with Aston and Alfa Romeo come the end of the season. 
Yeah, it's a, that's a, a particularly interesting uh, case study as well, because a, a couple of those incidents, the one at Singapore, I seem to recall, and I don't know if this was exactly how it was in reality, I felt that Magnus was somewhat unlucky there or hard done by by that incident. But when you kind of take a step back and look across the, the whole season, there is a clear theme there. And so I think Hass will probably be saying to him, look, we love the approach and you've clearly come back with a point to prove and there's a lot more fight than we maybe felt towards the end of you know your tenure last year with the team, the last time with the team. But he, but he needs to kind of slightly refine it and know when to push and when not to, um, which you would expect of a driver of his experience. Early on in the season, um, Mick Schumacher obviously had a huge crash, if you cast your mind back to the qualifying in Saudi Arabia, where he, I mean, it was a it was a horrific crash to watch. He, he may even win Crash of the Year award for that one. But it was... It, it, it was a scary one. Do you think that knocked his confidence a little bit? Do you think that that was a reality of quite the, the series that he's in? Or do you think F1 drivers such as Schumacher uh, can walk out of a crash like that and just move on to the next one? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't his, his first big crash, was it? He had a similar one at Saudi Arabia last, yeah, last year, towards the end of the, of the year, as it was in that calendar. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that knocked his confidence. <laughs> I mean, Without wanting to sound harsh, he he's had a few crashes and seems to have not be especially affected by any of them. Also, to reach F1, this is not specific to Schumacher. You've got to be able to bounce back from an incident like that. He he wouldn't have been in the drive in the first place if he wasn't able to do that. These are really athletes. They they are incredibly gifted, and they their ability to just you know they've almost got really really um, short term memory. So do you guys think for next year, looking at Nico Hulkenberg, obviously taking the seat of Mick Schumacher, um, you're going to have a, a higher performing team. We, we would hope that the car is going to be better as well. But with uh, Kevin Magnussen, Nico Hulkenberg, surely that's a team that's going to be knocking on the door of, of seventh, maybe even sixth position next year. I'd hope so. I mean, with the experience that both drivers have, it is definitely a strong lineup for the team and they have made improvements in recent years we saw them get double points this year in I think two races so for 2023 I'd like to see them battling for higher up in the championship I I think that they can do it and with Hulk and Magnussen I think that they have the best chance of achieving that so I hope they would it would just be about making sure that their car is the best that it can be Yeah, I think my my issues with them signing Hulkenberg wasn't that Hulkenberg's not necessarily good enough. I think it's that you would have thought they wanted more of a mix in their lineup. They've got a very, very experienced team now going into 2023, which is clearly what they wanted. That project that they had with Mazepin and Schumacher didn't work. Uh, I know I saw someone kind of saying, yeah, but it's just so hypocritical because they, you know, two years ago they signed it. And yeah, they realised that was a mistake. And they've adapted They've done the right thing. So they, they had to at that point as well. I mean, it wasn't necessarily that they wanted two rookies. It was a case of funding. Yes, well, exactly, yeah. Um, it quickly came, went from a, we're going to replace one of Grosjean and Magnussen to actually, we're going to have to do both. Um, but I think what you could well see is, I, I, I thought there was no point bringing Hulkenberg in because you've got Magnussen, but I wouldn't be surprised if Hulkenberg has a better season than Magnussen does. Just reflecting on your point there, Sam, about how 
pass you thought that they might have gone for like an experienced driver and then a younger driver with less experience that's it's interesting because Haas have got two experienced drivers but McLaren Lando is experienced but now they've got a really young driver lineup I think I saw something the other day that said Piastri wasn't even born when Alonso made his F1 debut yeah so having two really young drivers it will definitely be interesting to see how that how they perform on track without like the extensive experience that both Haas have. Well, I, I think Norris is probably in that in-between stage where he is experienced enough to be a, a leader uh, and show Piastri the ropes. And Piastri is also very, very good, as we as we know. Um, I think the counterpoint, though, to the kind of um, Haas having a, a young driver in the team is that they're never going to keep a young driver long-term. It's They are still a proving ground. So you could argue what's the point what's in it for them you know you're gonna have the you're gonna have to drive for two years and then they're gonna go to you know further up the field so unless they can make those steps and really mix it in the midfield more so than they have been uh and start knocking on the door on to raise you ollie uh the kind of alpines and the mclarens they are going to be in that cycle and maybe that's what this next stage is for two experienced drivers to get into that market and then you can look at some young talent it's an interesting one, yeah, because it's it's almost like the the Jordan approach from the nineties uh, and I guess early two thousands of yeah bringing through exciting young drivers. Obviously, yeah, Schumacher in particular, but they had plenty of others like Ralph and Fizzy Keller, and you do get short term you get more points if they prove to be maybe a, a little less reliable, but they'll pick up more points from pure speed if you do get it right. But if you do get it wrong, then it's kind of the worst of both worlds. So. Yeah, it's an interesting point with, with Haas. I mean, do you want someone who's reliable and going to bring you 10 or gamble on someone who might bring you two, but might bring you 30? So moving down to the grid to Alpha Tauri. Now, they had a shocking season if you're looking at last season. So last season, they managed to score 142 points. This season, they scored 35. I mean, it was it was a shocker and Gasly was not happy throughout this season, was he, at all? Sam? Well, it's time for my first fun stat of, of the day. And in fact, the most fun stat, my only stat maybe. In 2021, Gasly scored 77.46% of their points. In 2022, that fell to 65.71. I find that particularly interesting because, yeah, that's you know uh, over a 10% drop. That, that was the nerdiest thing you've ever said. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I find I, that particularly interesting. 65.71%. Oh, goodness. Oh, <laughs> goodness. The, the, the Aston Martin is not performing as I expected. Um, within the narrative of Sonoda taking a step forward and Gasly looking like he would regress somewhat, I don't think that is quite as big a regression as we kind of were, were expecting. And yeah, Sonoda did well enough at the start of the season to secure a drive for next year with the team. Between Snowder's points in Spain and Cota, his best result was a P13. And that is a long way to go between, you know, between those two points and then to not even get within a couple of positions of scoring points in those races. So it's a really difficult season. They've obviously regressed as a team and they are the big drop-off in this bottom seven. But I think Snowder is going to be in trouble next year if he doesn't quickly come out the gates and continue into the second half season. I don't think they'll give them a contract extension as early as they did this year. Yeah, I don't... 
I, I think it was, he got a bit unlucky, uh, Yuki, but I mean, the, the general opinion kind of throughout the paddock and fans was that he had made a big step up, particularly in the first half when he was, he was beating Gasly on points for a while compared to having been pretty much, yeah, almost whitewashed by Pierre last year. And the the qualifying was a lot closer, but you have to say how much of that was potentially due to Pierre's heart just not being in it. You know, he kind of achieved as much as you can in an AlphaTauri realistically last year. And it didn't feel like his heart was in it at all. Maybe he knew he was looking to move on. He couldn't have known how it was going to play out in the summer. But uh, I think his his heart was very much elsewhere and that might have flattered Yuki. And yeah, I totally agree that next year is kind of make or break for him. There's been a bit of a, a blockage in the Red Bull talent pool, but I think Liam Lawson still has the potential to to prove himself over the next 12 months and there could be more. Absolutely. And you've also got drivers like uh, Imo Uesa, who is a very, very quick driver, and I think we'll see him in the title fight in F2 next year. So it's, it, you know, there, there's there's more there. Dennis Hauger, for example, taking over Felipe Drogovic, taking over Felipe Drogovic's seat at MP. He could easily be in the conversation come come the midpoint of 2023. So yeah, it's not it's not safe and certain for Snowder, and I think with Gasly. I think probably a couple of races into the year, he realised that the team had regressed. And yeah, that then kind of fed into his regression that we admittedly did see this year um, compared to 2021 and obviously winning a race at the season before that. Do you guys feel like um, Pierre Gasly, he's just going to be one of these drivers that's in the F1 lineup for many years to come, but he's never really going to... To, to produce race wins and, you know, championship battles. Because he's, he's a solid driver, but it just doesn't feel like when he had his break, he wasn't able to make the most of it. And it just doesn't feel like it's going to happen again, does it? But yet he's too good to get rid of. I don't think we'll see him battle for championships, but I do think we will see him on the podium more, especially since he's left AlphaTauri. I feel like leaving AlphaTauri and the Red Bull family is a good thing for Pierre moving to Alpine yes he has tensions with Ocon previously but they have reportedly kind of fixed those tensions slightly I think moving to Alpine will be an interesting dynamic it's a French team it's a new environment I certainly believe Gasly will perform better but I don't think he has what it takes to be a world champion you get those tensions in a team when you've got two evenly matched drivers and I think Gasly and Ocon are that next season. You know, everyone tried to build this narrative of tension between Lando Norris and, and Daniel Ricciardo. And it just wasn't there because they were in, in entirely different parts of the track at, you know, over a race. So I, I, that's that's definitely one to watch for the team, how they can kind of deal with that. But I think, yeah, Gasly will be a consistent performer if they can sort out the reliability as well and make a step in performance. Then, yeah, I think you're right, Abby. You could see him competing for podiums. We'd hope that the midfield generally makes that step for sure but it's funny because this time last year or you know kind of in the off season when we didn't know if Lewis was going to come back or not there was that rumour going around that Gasly would potentially be that replacement in the same yeah. yeah yeah he, he's really and Ocon fallen. and, and Ocon well I mean Ocon the ties are more legitimate to, yeah. to Mercedes obviously with Toto Wolff being his manager um yeah, Gasly, I, I was thinking this, and maybe this is unfair, I think there's, and I'm keen to get your thoughts on this, James. Gasly could almost be a little bit of a Giancarlo Fisichella. 
But I, I think it's made the connection better. Yeah. Maybe. Do you think it's better? Than, than than f- f- no. Do you not? Okay. Fair. No, I, I, I think there's a there's a fair uh, yeah. They're, they're a good comparison because he was great in a midfield car and then once Fissy got his chance, it was, yeah, against Alonso in a Renault. Other than that, he basically hadn't been beaten by a teammate and I don't know, yeah, I mean, I guess you compare Max to, to Gasly in their time, but it was obviously over 10 races. I think it's a it's a good comparison. I wouldn't say Gasly's done anything to prove that he's better than, than Fissy as yet. Okay, and moving on to the team that finished last in this year's championship, Williams. Notable to say, though, that one of their reserve drivers scored points, which was obviously Nick de Vries. Um, That was incredible, guys. That was one of the highlights of the season for me. Um, but Alex Albon and Nicholas Latifi, it was a really miserable year for Williams. And it just feels like, when are they going to return? You know, it, it's just the luck isn't there and nor is the performance. James, what's your thoughts? Yeah, it was a shame to see them, you know, they, it, they'd been at the back, the very back, and had some really tough seasons for, what, three years. And it was really great to see them last year get back more up into the mix. And they what they ended up eighth, didn't they, in the constructors? And this was such a chance for them with their their new management and the restructuring of the, of the team in general to have that opportunity with the new regulations. Everyone was really hopeful maybe they can get back up not necessarily to like 2014 level where they they nailed those regulations helped with the Mercedes engine obviously and then they just fell straight back back to 10th again it was a real shame to see uh they had their moments they're very quick in a straight line and obviously that that put them into the mix in places like Monza and like you said with De Vries but it's hard to see where they can really go from here other than try and get back into the the mix at the bottom of the midfield and I know we've spoken about Latifi a lot, but it's a really sad way when you're looking at the the championship points that a driver who stepped in for one race scored the same amount as a driver who was there for the 21 others. I mean, that that that's really painful. And um, what's your what, what's your thoughts on on the drivers? I, I mean, Albon had a it felt like a good season really, but when you look at the the points, it it, it doesn't reflect that at all. Abby, what's your view? Oh, sorry, J- James, what's your view? Oh no! I was just going to say that with with Williams, the the points don't really reflect reflect the performance, though, do they? They don't. But I feel like in the case of Latifi and De Vries in Monza, I want to say it was that I feel like was a key time for Williams to see De Vries come into the car, and I believe he was in the Aston Martin earlier that weekend in FP one. So to be in the Aston Martin and then switch for the Williams for the race and then score points, I feel like that was such a key moment for the team to go, actually, if you compare Latifi and De Vries, De Vries has more potential and potentially more talent than Latifi. But Albon, I was really glad that he came back on the grid with Williams and I feel like he he is doing well there. I think he can help the team a lot. He did only get a couple of points, but... It's still some points. He did have more retirements than Latifi. I think he had five Grand Prix retirements and then one sprint race retirement. But he did help the team. I think having Sargent come in, having Albon and Sargent as the lineup, I think Williams can do a lot more and hopefully they can progress from being 10th in the constructors and actually get a lot more points than just eight that they got this season. But they have a lot of promise, I feel like. But like James said, they just need to work out a way to actually 
unlock that promise and actually see the results. On the face of it, Albon had a considerably better season than Latifi. And he scored double the points that Latifi did. But he also only accounted for half the team's points. And obviously there's a slight you know, kind of uh, nuance to that in that the race where De Vries did score those other two points was the race that Albon missed. So it's it's an odd season to for, for them, especially when you compare to, to 2021, where actually, yes, they finished eighth and they got 23 points, but there wasn't a huge difference because Hungary, they got loads of points and that was obviously a very chaotic race. And then they got a lot of points for 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 Spa when George what qualified second and the race didn't didn't get going. So that I think again warps warps that comparison there. But yeah, you you want them to kind of t- take that step, and they they did fall away. They weren't even close to P nine this year. Like thirty five points for AlphaTauri, eight for Williams. They they have regressed in that sense. Um, whereas I feel like they were more competitive generally last last year. Um, but Albon, I think, has been a revelation for them, generally. Uh, his approach, the fact he can drag that car solidly into to Q2 um, on more occasions than you'd expect. Yeah, I, I was impressed with Albon. I thought he would be closer to Latifi. Um, I did expect him to to beat him. But yeah, no, he's he's shown... I mean, he wasn't far off. You'd have to say George's performance over the two years. The the qualifying head to head is pretty similar as well, and it was really impressive seeing him come in from a year off into a new team and, and perform that well. And yeah, I hope Williams give him uh, a platform to do something a bit better next year. And it'll be interesting to see how he uh, yeah compares to Logan Sargent. Okay, so that was our review of the seven bottom teams in the championship this year. We're going to discuss. The drivers that are exiting and joining the grid for next year. But before we do that, it's time for the Nerds Quiz. Okay, so it's that time of the week where we do the famous Nerds Quiz. Now, I thought this week, as we're doing the season review, we'd do the quiz on the season we've just had. So, Abby, you're going to have a bit more of a chance this week to get involved with it. How excited are you for this? Very excited, but I'm trying not to get my hopes up too high because Bahrain was a very long time ago. So uh, hopefully I can remember things. It was. Now, Sam, despite taking the mick out of James last week, has, has, and I've got it recorded, sent me a voice note saying he was revising earlier. When I said revising, this is a season review, so I was revising the season. So that I could talk with some semblance of authority on what happened over the last year. I didn't actually realise until we got in here that we had the quiz. So that was not my intention. And it's it's James McKenzie. It's your favourite time of the week because you don't have quizzes in France, do you? Yeah, no, that's true. And I haven't been revising. I haven't even, I haven't even looked at any kind of Wikipedia page about 22 seasons. So uh, hopefully... I mean, it'll be, a, it'll be a rubbish podcast, but at least I won't have cheated on the quiz. Okay, right. So just to confirm, guys, you've, you've got nothing in front of you, do you, apart from my lovely face? Nothing. Okay, good. All right, question one. List all 22 races from the 2022 season in order that they took place. In order. Oh, okay. Right, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia. Australia. 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 Emilia Romagna. Yeah. I think. Number four. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And then Miami. Yep. Yes. 
And then Thence it would have been Bain, Bain Monaco. Yep. yep. And then we've got... So Canada. what are we up to? Seven? So, uh, yeah, so now you're on to the eighth Ooh, one. Back, is it Baku or Canada? Yeah. Baku then Canada because Baku yeah. had the penalty from his engine in Baku. So yep. Baku, Canada. Canada. Yeah. And then it would Silver have been Silverson, yeah, yep. or Austria. 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 Yeah. France. Yeah. And then France, Hungary. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, we're at the and then you've break. got, and then you've got the summer break. Then you've got <clears throat> Belgium, Star. Netherlands, yep. Italy. Italy, which you know because yep. you were at all three. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <'cause those laughs> <didn't> you? <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got Singapore. Yeah. Then Japan. And obviously yep. before Singapore, you would have had Russia, but obviously yep. that got cancelled. Throwing in the extra knowledge there, Sam, again. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, kind of. Um, so we've had Japan. Then Kota. Mm-hmm. Me- then Mexico, Mexico. Brazil. Abu Dhabi. Well done. <laughs> now list all the dates. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> 19th of March. No, I'm... Right. Question two. How many points did Lance Stroll score throughout the season? Uh, maybe 16, I want to say. 12. He got, so he got four at the last, didn't he? He came eighth in, uh, in Abu Dhabi. He also had a sixth place finish. Yeah. So that would have been what? Eight points? Eight. So that's... That's minimum 12. Four. Yeah. Eight and eight and four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> and then he definitely had a yeah. number of um, like 10th tens. place finishes. Yeah. I'm going to say 16. Final answer? Well, I don't... It's up to you guys. I think it's more. I think it's more. Okay. What do you think? I'm, I can't really say because just before starting recording the podcast, I wrote down all of the points. <laughs> so I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure. Okay, it's a couple more than that. Eighteen then. Let's go with eighteen then. Yeah, eighteen is correct. Nice, <laughs> exactly a couple more. Well done. Okay, question three: In which race or races did Latifi score points? Japan. <clears throat> that was it. That was it. Correct. Question four. Lando Norris was back on the podium this year, but in which race? Emilia-Romagna. Correct. Question five. Carlos Sainz took his first ever victory at which Grand Prix? Silverstone. Silverstone. Is it the Silverstone Grand Prix? Oh, the British British Grand Prix. Prix. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Um, how many drivers took part in the F1 sessions throughout the year? Oh, fuck. Oh, <laughs> oh, like all man. the FP1 ones? Come on. Yeah, on. I, can, I can do this because uh, I did the FP1 championship. It's definitely over 30. It's yeah. like 32, 33. Um, shall, 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 we, shall we run through them? <laughs> Sam's rubbing his face. Well, it's got to that yeah. point in the quiz. Okay, so we've got... It's 22 <laughs> as with tradition. De Vries and Hulk. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And obviously and then, take De Vries off the FP1 list then. Yeah. Yeah. You've, okay, so you've got... Should we go team by team? Yeah. yeah. So Mercedes, obviously, that was De Vries for both. Yeah. Let's cancel yes. them out. And then you've got Red Bull had Vips and Lawson. Yeah. That's yep. two more. Ferrari had Schwarzman for both. Yeah. So that's one more. We McLaren had Palau and O'Ward. Yep. 
So that's two more. Uh, I mean, you keep in tr- Are you, you counting? You're counting yeah. yeah, we're on 27. You're, you're, pretty, you're putting up your fingers, Sam, but I just noticed Sorry. you didn't move then. <laughs> Alpine had Duan for both. Yeah. Um, then who was next in the championship? Uh, Alfa Romeo had... Porsche. Porsche for both. For both, yeah. Kubica doesn't... Oh, no, but Kubica does count, do though. Yeah, yeah. So... Okay, so he counts. And then you've got... Who's next in the championship? Um... Uh, Aston, even. And so that was De Vries and, and Drogovic. Drogovic. And, yeah. So that's, yeah, one, so that's more. one more. And then who was next in the championship? That would have been... Alfa Tauri? No, Haas. Oh, no, Haas. Haas. Uh, Haas. So that Haas, would have yeah. been Giovinazzi. And Fittipaldi. And Fittipaldi. Schwartz. when we've already done, but he only did Ferrari. Yeah. And then Alfa Tauri was Lawson, who we've already got. And... Yeah. I can't remember. So what are you up to, Abby? Was it just... I think we're on think, 33 at the moment. It would have... I think then, it was Lawson both. Yeah, because Lawson yeah. did Spa. And then, like, Cota, maybe? Yeah, yeah, I think he did. And then Williams, who got Sergeant. Who did, like, 11. Yeah. <laughs> so 34. I think like 34. so. That's, that kind of fits with what I remember as well. So it's 34, oh, your final answer? Are we ruining the spirit of the quiz by working it out? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's 34, your final answer. Yes. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to go through it again, yeah. are we? So, no. That's correct! Right. Yay. Well done. <laughs> After all that, yay. <laughs> okay. I can add up. I know, I was watching Abby struggling with it, counting because <laughs> Sam kept repeating the same name. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, you, you, you're, you're six out of six so far, so on to question seven. Four drivers had a total of six retirements in the 2022 season. Name them. Fernando Alonso. Alonso. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Joe, I think. Sonoda, I believe. I think Bottas... Retired six times. Yeah, yeah. Because there's been a retirement in every single race. And I think it's Bottas, Alonso. <laughs> Abby's starting to move like me. But like, let me just litter in some extra information here. Told <laughs> um, um, you she'd come into her own when it's 2022. <laughs> Albon. No, so, so, wait. I think it might be Albon. He's but, retired quite a lot. He but, retired in a sprint race. It's four drivers. Yes, but you okay. still can't get the question right. So right. Alonso Bottas. Let's go with science. Science. Joe. Yeah, that's correct. Hey, look at that. Okay. It wasn't Albin. Albin. Uh, Albin. Question yeah. eight. Which driver had the most fastest laps in 2022 and how many? Max. Uh, five or six. Can't remember. Five? Is anyone else going to say anything? <laughs> I have no idea I've, what this I is. I don't know. <laughs> he got the DHL fastest lap. Other couriers are yeah. available. Uh, but I think it was, I think it was five. <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, Max bloody with five. Okay. Which driver cost their team the most in crash damages? Oh, oh Mick Schumacher. Destructors Championship. Yeah, I think that was Mick. <laughs> it's got to be Mick Schumacher, surely. It was Mick Schumacher. And as of September, um, it was over 3.2 million in crash damage. Wow. And obviously more came after. Um, 
Question 10. Whose car is called the A522? The Aston Martin. Alpine. No, no, no. Not, it was not Alpine. Aston Martin. Yeah. Again, you... <laughs> How's that revision paying off for you, sir? Again, well, believe it or not, authority. I didn't... I didn't... <laughs> it's the AM, isn't it? That's not, yeah. Obviously. Okay. Um, it really is yeah. face massage time of the week for Sam, isn't it? Look at him. <laughs> uh, not to insult anyone, but... Um, you know, when people are like, oh, yes, well, you know, the W13, like, yeah, we all know it's called the W13, but people who, like, you talk about, like, the 1992 Williams, and they're like, yes, the FW, and you're like, all right, we can just call it the 1992 Williams. Like, <laughs> that's perfectly fine. Okay, well, you got it right. It was the Alpine. Name the drivers that did not finish the Singapore Grand Prix. Oof. How, how many were It was, like, eight yeah. of them. Yeah, I was going to say. There were a few, yeah. <laughs> okay. Was that when Alpine had their double DNF? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Okay, so Alonso and Ocon didn't finish it. Yeah, because yeah, that was the height of the Hogan of like, is the reliability going to kill their season? Yeah. And it didn't. Um, well, obviously, both Red Bulls finished. Um, by Ferrari, by Ferrari I was just thinking, I think so. I don't think Latifi did. <laughs> No, because didn't he like? <laughs> no, because he 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 took he took Joe out, didn't he? Okay, so Joe. And then there was well. a that. What did Joe say? It was so wholesome. He had this um, he had this soundbite that was just so cute. I can't remember what it was. It'll come back to me. <laughs> and then we had uh, both Mercedes finished, despite George's best efforts. Yeah. Um, throwing in some extra knowledge there. <laughs> <laughs> so you're on four so far, right? Dragon yeah. Ball G. Mm-hmm. Deb? Wasn't it like, you know, his favourite race? I feel like he didn't finish. I can't remember why. So, sorry, who did you just... Did you, Deb? Seb. I thought he said oh, Deb Seb. as well. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, Deborah. Deborah. <laughs> Deborah Bettel. Yeah. All right, Debbie. <laughs> Seb, um, yeah. Right, no, so you're on four. Like. Right. I'm going to push um, you for time here, guys. Okay. Did okay, Sonoda? Okay. I feel like he didn't. No, he didn't. Oh, I don't yeah, think he yeah. did. I think he binned it. Okay, so that's he five. did. He, yeah, he, he stuck it in the wall. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a real like accurate marker of the season, isn't it? Um, <laughs> one of the ha- no, um, Kevin Magnuson. I don't know if he finished, but he got a meatball flag that race, didn't he? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Let's let's just pick eight names at this point because I mean, <laughs> Albon didn't them. finish. Albon, there you go, Gasly Albon. Let's let's try that. So, so sorry, how many were there? You said eight. we said eight. Right, okay, there weren't. There were six. So it okay. was um, Yuki Tsunoda, Esteban Ocon, Alexander Albon, Fernando Alonso, Nicholas Latifi, and Joe Guan Yu. So who extra did we throw in there? Seb. That was me. That's on me. Right. <laughs> Deb Bell. Debbie Vettel okay that's the first one you've got wrong so far so you are on 10 out of 11 question 12 where did Lewis Hamilton finish in the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix now this was a while ago (laughs) it was on the 20th of March it was either either P9 or P10 because he made the do do I even get points for this remark exactly yeah Yeah. I want to say 9 yeah let's go P9 wrong it was 10th oh Oh, Oh, sorry (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was obviously the one point remark that he was making. 
Well, yeah, yeah. I do I even get points. I thought he said so. That's why. I was oh, doing. yeah. Sorry, my miss. My misquote might have yeah. thrown you there, James. <laughs> okay. Uh, question thirteen: How many DNFs did Max Verstappen have throughout the season? Two. Yeah. Two. Final answer: two, three. Yeah. I've got it down as one, but I need to check that now. Oh, okay. That's because he will have been classified for for the first race because he only had two laps left, but he didn't retire. Mm. Uh, didn't retire. He didn't finish. You're really confusing me there, James. <laughs> he did okay. retire. Okay. Um, that's correct. <laughs> okay. Um, let's move up a difficulty level. Um, question 14. What was the Haas car called this year? VF, isn't it? VF22? That's correct. Well you, you know those nerds that I was like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> taking shots at? It's James. Okay, and final question. Question 15. How many different drivers were on the podium throughout the season? Seven. Yeah, seven. The big six and Lando. That's correct. So, well done, guys. You got 13 out of 15, I think. Not bad. Uh, yeah. Well, one's, one's contestable. So did you enjoy my quiz this week, guys? I, did. Yeah, I always yeah. do. Abby? Yes, they're always fun and challenging. Yeah, this we one was... We should test you one time. No, we shouldn't. We should. <laughs> I certainly wouldn't want to know what the Hass is called, which one the Alpine was, and I wouldn't have been able to, to name the 34 different drivers. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of the quiz for this week. Okay, so we do have quite a few drivers leaving the grid this year and obviously that means we've got new names as well um sam do you want to let us know who's leaving so leaving the grid um from 2022 to 2023 we've got daniel ricardo who's obviously leaving mclaren um he's stepping into a reserve role with red bull as we know uh, sebastian vettel is retiring as we know leaving aston martin you've got mick schumacher who wasn't retained at Haas, and you've also got nick latifi who wasn't retained at williams and that gives us four seats, Sam. So who is going into the seats? So going into those seats, and there's a little bit of movement as well, but coming onto the grid, you've got Oscar Piastri, who's going into the McLaren seat. You've got Nick DeVries, who is joining Alpha Tauri. You've got Nico Hulkenberg, who is <laughs> not Nico Rosberg, uh, who I <laughs> you know, misnamed last uh, a couple of podcasts ago. He is joining Haas to replace Mick Schumacher. Last but not least is rookie Logan Sargent, who will be slotting in to the Williams. So which ones are you most excited for, guys? I mean, there's a lot of names there, a lot of change, but surely the most talked about one of the years got to be Oscar Piastri. He's He's got some shoes to fill now, hasn't he? He certainly does. I think everyone... He's been such a sought-after driver and I feel like everyone has such high expectations of him and what he can do in F1 that at the beginning of the season and in the pre-season testing, all eyes will be on him. But for me, I'm most excited about Logan Sargent and seeing how he fares compared to Albon and actually stepping up into an F1 car because the end of his F2 season was a bit rocky. He had quite a few DNFs across the penultimate five rounds. So I want to see how he performs under pressure how he performs as part of Williams and being part of the elitist group of motorsport in the world. Yeah, I think Logan Sargent is the biggest unknown quantity to F1 fans. Um, 
And I think what's particularly interesting is people kind of think, oh, he's you know, he's a, a first year F2 driver and, um, you know, is he experienced enough? People forget that he actually was held back a year in F3 because he couldn't get funding to move up. And he, he went to Sharoo's, took P7 in the championship, which for Sharoo's in, F, in F3 is a very good performance, was still very competitive. What people may not realise is that he very, very nearly beat Oscar Piastri to the F3 title the year before and was in fact very unlucky not to, to, to win that title. So there's a lot more to come from Logan Sargent than I think people necessarily expect. But he, as Abby said, he has had a few mistakes and he's you know, had a rocky end to the year. He needs to kind of correct that heading into 23, which I'm sure he will. Um, Oscar Piastri, as we know, Will the expectations crush him? Who knows? And Nick DeVries has to hit the ground running. He's 27 years old. He won his F2 title at 24. He was a, a late winner and also 24. And second that year in the F2 championship was Nick Latifi. So it wasn't necessarily the strongest year for F2. So again, he's got a point to prove. Yeah, there's an interesting narrative for for all four drivers, really. I mean, um, okay, maybe less so Hulk uh, at Haas. But you know he's he's still got he's got that chance to get a podium, which maybe he thought he'd never get again. Yeah. As unlikely as unlikely as it might seem, you never know. He got an unlikely pole in 2010, and has got an unlikely pole this year. If the stars will align, but yeah, I think I'm most interested to see what Piastri can do. He has set the bar very high for himself, and also yeah, in the same team to see how Lando adjusts to becoming team leader because he's he's been kind of the underdog for the last four years. Obviously he proved himself against Daniel and wasn't really an underdog this year, but in terms of their status within the sport still, uh, the, the, yeah, the weight has shifted now onto his shoulders if you want. And it does feel like Nick DeVries, right? Having that one race um, in this season, it feels like he's, he's set his own expectation. Well, he's, he's set the bar and the, people would now expect him to come in and do what he did for that one race straight away. And maybe he can, maybe he can't, but I, I feel like he, he's got a lot of um, pressure on him as well, because that was such an incredible performance. Um, his first race in an F1 car that I'm expecting to see it again every, well, every time he goes out, but he, he is obviously one of the older drivers now. Yeah. So it's, it's a really, really interesting one. And I'm, I'm also intrigued to see how it kind of unfolds because as we know, he won a Formula E title as well uh, in his road between F2 and F1, but then had a really kind of inconsistent year to, to follow that championship. So he really does need to kind of quickly find that form. And I don't want to kind of speculate too much, but it looks like that Red Bull seat could be open for 2024. Obviously, there's a lot of animosity uh, with the relationship with, with Sergio Perez at this stage. If Nick DeVries can you know, come out of the, the, the blocks you know, quickly, could he be in the running for that second seat at Red Bull? I, th- I feel like probably more than Yuki Tsunoda. And I think Alpha Tauri expecting Nick DeVries to lead that team. Yeah, that I don't know if Red Bull have been too burnt or have been burnt too many times by uh, pro- you know, pro- projecting. What the hell? Uh, by what's the word? Fragrantly promoting, <laughs> Gee, that was it. That's that complicated word. You're By promoting, well. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the word. I've forgot the word promote. By promoting drivers too soon with Gasly and Albon. So, 
I would be surprised if they if they uh, yeah went with that rather than whether it is Danny Rick or they tried to go for someone else as a more reliable number two. But yeah, time will tell. Well, when they initially signed DeVries to Alpha Tauri, I thought, okay, this is tactical because I'm pretty sure Perez will leave Red Bull in a couple of years and a seat will open up and they can give DeVries that seat because I feel like he's the more likely candidate over Sonoda. But then they have signed Daniel Ricciardo as their third driver. So now I think it will be a battle between Ricciardo, who Red Bull know, and De Vries, who they're hoping will perform well on track. And I think for De Vries, he will need to perform and show that he can actually make it in F1. Yeah, you also need to consider an all... British lineup at Mercedes and an all Dutch lineup at Red Bull. Uh, that that would be that would be pretty impressive, wouldn't it? Be open war. Oh, it, it would be great, and it would be certainly yeah something to behold. But I think another driver we've talked about a lot and has consistently performed very very well over the the last few years is potentially the most likely. I reckon you could see Red Bull buying out Lando Norris's contract at McLaren. Because that you know that they're you know they're interested. They've been sniffing around him for a long time. Yeah, I think there's that quote from Horner which said, you know, every time we speak to Lando, he comes out and signs a bigger, longer contract with McLaren. But the next day, if, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if yeah, if McLaren fail to move forwards in the next year or, or two, depending on how it goes, yeah, that that could be the most likely. I mean, Lando's options that maybe looks the most likely. Yeah, I mean, or would he replace Lewis? retain that totally British Mercedes lineup. See, that would be interesting as well, because obviously he's compared with George Russell, who is, as we know, a to-be-proven generational talent. (laughs) I think you'd say Lando Norris in the same breath, wouldn't you? Um, But obviously he hasn't quite had the car to match him uh, over the last couple of years. Now, the final piece of the jigsaw, really, at this point that we're recording is, is Bonotto in or is he out and who's taking that seat? So I'm sure that will be covered on the news show this week. Um, And then we can discuss it when we cover the top three in our part two of the season review. But that's it for now, guys. We did it. A lot of research, a lot of statistics, a lot of quizzes, a lot of numbers. Jeez. Thank you very much. Did you enjoy yourselves? I did, because I actually knew some answers on the quiz and didn't just rely on <laughs> Sam and James. You carried us. You carried us, Abby. And yeah, it was great. Thanks, yeah. Abby. Yes, loved it as always. Okay, well, we will be back next week. But before that, you have news from the nerds on Wednesday. But until then, thank you, Sam. Thank you very much. Thank you, Abby. Thank you very much. And thank you, James. Adios, amigos. Uh, Oh, no, not again. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you next week. Goodbye. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Sports Social Podcast Network.